0: You'll turn in your Bibles with me to Psalm 92. I'll give you a minute to find that. Remember, flip open right to the middle. Usually you're in a psalm. Psalm 92. What we're going to be reading today. Let's start with verse 1. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord! How profound your thoughts! Senseless people do not know, fools do not understand, that though the wicked spring up like grass and all the evildoers flourish, they will be destroyed forever. But you, O oh Lord, are forever exalted, For surely your enemies, Lord, surely your enemies will perish. All evildoers will be scattered. You have exalted my horn like that of a wild ox. Fine oils have been poured down over me. My eyes have seen defeat of my adversaries. My ears have heard the rout of my wicked foes. The righteous will flourish like palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright. He is my rock. And there is no wickedness in him. May God bless this reading of his word today. I love the look that kids have, and, and some teachers have, when they're getting toward the end of the school year. I mean, not this year, but... Usually. You know when that time comes. You always know when that time comes because pretty much everybody under the age of 19 starts visibly vibrating with excitement over the summer vacation. They, they are looking forward to that break, that rest that's coming up. And that becomes their all-consuming thought. I can't wait for the summer. I can't wait for this break. can't wait to be done with schoolwork. I mean, oh man, those adults have it so good, right? You know, now we wish we had that summer vacation. And when that final bell rings, you certainly don't have to push kids out of the doors of the school to go enjoy that well-deserved rest. There's just nothing quite like finally getting a break that you've been anticipating for a long time. I wonder how many of us feel that way when Sunday morning comes around after a long, hard week of work and of worry and of responsibilities? Are we looking forward to Sunday morning with that same sort of excitement, that glee that kids have when summer vacation is coming? That rest that we get on Sunday morning not only relieves us from the burdens we have of our daily routine, but also puts us into communion with the Almighty Lord. We have to remember that God gave us the Sabbath to be a blessing and not a burden. I think some people, the the common myth here in society is that church is a burden, Sunday is a burden, you don't want that, we just want to enjoy it the way we want to enjoy it. And God said, no, I gave this to you to be a blessing. It's not a day meant to be a tiresome obligation where God wants you to get out of bed and see if maybe your singing got better from last week. It hasn't, but you know, you can keep trying, right? The Sabbath is a day where we can stop everything else and just be with God. Just stop. Stop the worries, stop the thoughts, and just focus on Him. To learn from Him, to talk to Him, to sing His praises, to receive instructions as you sit at His feet, to experience His care, and in return, to lift Him up, to exalt Him in our hearts and minds. Today we're going to look at a very special psalm, Psalm 92. And it's special because out of all 150 psalms, Psalm 92 is the only psalm that is designated as the song of the Sabbath. One psalm is the psalm of the Sabbath. That's the one we're looking at today. It's a song that's meant to be sung as believers come together to worship the Lord and rest in His love and peace. It's a song that completely revolves around this idea of exalting. I, I said that to my daughter this morning. She said, what are we looking at today, I said Psalm 92. So she opened up her Bible and she memorized a verse from Psalm 92 and she's like, she recited it to me and she says, you know, um, you Lord are forever exalted. I said, well what does that mean to exalt? She's like, I don't know. So it's, it's one of those church words, right? I said, you know what? It's simple. It's to lift up so everybody else can see it. When you're exalting something, you're you're lifting it so high that people can't help but look at it. And that's when we look at Psalm 92. Remember the key verse of psalms, of any particular psalm, is usually right there in the middle. And that's the key verse. You, Lord, are forever exalted. You are forever lifted up. And that's what binds a song together. In this short and beautiful psalm, we see four ways that God is exalted, that God is lifted up, so that all eyes are on Him. And so when we come to the Sabbath, when we're looking at God, we need to keep in mind these four things that uh, exalt God. So if there's one, we're going to start with the uncomfortable part of the psalm, because if there's one part of this psalm that you're going along, you're like, this sounds pretty good, this sounds pretty good, and then you go, "Oh, that's kind of uncomfortable. It's got to be verse 9. Verse 9, and so we'll, let's tackle that. Let's get it out of the way first, because there's the psalmist has a strong desire in verse 9 that God, destroy and scatter his enemies. And again, that's this kind of imprecatory call that God bring his harsh judgment down on his enemies. And that is not something I think we think churchgoers should be saying. We shouldn't be praying, God, please hit that big smite button on your computer and smite your, you know, the evildoers of the world. We feel like that's unloving and unkind. But of course, we're looking at it from our perspective, when we change our perspective to that of God's, of course, this whole p- psalm is from God's perspective. We start seeing things God's way. Well, let's let's put this verse into context. If I stop this sermon right now and I I put out a poll right there online, or I ask you to to call in, I say, what what have you seen in the news lately? What what general topics really upset you? What do you feel is unfair and unjust? You're watching the news, you're listening to the news, you you see a story happen, and you you just something that just really gets under your skin, you get really mad, you're you're upset, and you go to vent to somebody. We all do this. There's something that we see is unjust, and our, our the fervent desire of our hearts is that justice is brought to that situation. And man, sometimes we go that this. Man, if I was in charge, whew, if I was in charge, man, I'd be hitting that smite button so many times, right? And yet, we look at this psalm, we go, man, God, why are you, you know, stay away from that. That's not your job. But God says, no. Listen, it should be on the hearts of Christians to want to see justice done. Not necessarily for vengeance to be done, but justice to be served. It should be on our hearts. Even if we don't always agree about the specifics of what situations deserve justice. I think that should be left up to a a judge that's a little bit wiser than the rest of us. But injustice in the world always gets our blood boiling, makes us stand up and demand a just response. When we see something wrong in the world as Christians, it should be our heart's desire to see that wrong thing set right. And that's what's happening here in this psalm. The psalmist is saying, listen, God, There's a lot of wickedness in the world. There's so much evil. Make that right. Set it to right. I want to see these people who have just been standing against you, being your lifelong enemies, hating you, hating your people. Bring justice to them. Scatter them. Get rid of that rebellion and bring your peace and justice to the world. So true story, there was once a man who had committed a crime And he went to court for it, but because of a legal technicality, he got out. Everybody knew he was guilty, absolutely everybody. And he stood before the judge, and right before the judge uh, threw the the case out. The judge, by the way, was a a future Supreme Court Justice, Horace Gray. The judge said this. He said, listen, I know you're guilty. You know you're guilty. And I wish you to remember that one day, you will stand in front of a better and wiser judge who will deal with you according to justice and not according to the law. Deal with you according to justice. That's what we're praying for. When we hold up God and we say, God, we want your justice to rain down on the world. We want you to set wrong things right. The person who loves God and follows him should not want to see evil flourish. I think sometimes we, want, we, want, we get uncomfortable Because then we look at ourselves and we see the evil inside. We see our sin and we go, if I'm praying for justice in the world, then I'm also praying that God judges me. And we are. We absolutely are. And if it wasn't for Jesus Christ and his blood that covers our sins, we would be in a heap of trouble. We would be facing a God who judges us according to what is right, not according to the technicalities of the law. But no matter what, we need to be exalting God's justice by saying what the psalmist says here, for surely your enemies will perish. Surely there will be nobody left who will stand against God in the end. The world will be dealt with according to God's justice. And when that happens, it will be a good and right thing. I want us to jump ahead. We're going to be jumping back and forth here in Psalm 92. Let's jump ahead to the last four verses here where he writes this. He says, The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in their old age. They will stay fresh and green, proclaiming, The Lord is upright, He is my rock, and there is no wickedness in Him. I love the ending of this song. Well, as a former youth pastor, I'm going to give you a little bit of a tip. If you're ever hanging out with a kid, and, and you feel really uncomfortable, you don't know what to talk about, here's an easy conversational tidbit. Ask them something like this, say, if you were an animal, what kind of animal would you be? If you were a color, what kind of color would you be? Or maybe uh, food, what kind of food would you be? Ask a kid that kind of sort of question, and it, it sparks their imagination, gets them going, has them reveal something personal about themselves, and then good luck getting them to be quiet after that. It's just no stopping, kids, when you get going. So obviously, when the Bible is, is wrapping up Psalm 92 here, obviously the Bible is asking us, if we were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? I mean, would you be a palm tree? Would you be a cedar tree? I don't know. That's not That's not what it's asking. But for the record, I always thought I'd make a good Joshua tree. Short, stunted, weird-looking, iconic I'm comfortable with that. But in all seriousness, the point of these last verses isn't about trees. It's that God is exalted in part by raising up his redeemed children. That God is exalted by raising up his redeemed children. When we accept Jesus into our lives as Savior, he really performs a tree plant, transplant. He digs us up as, as we used to be a dead tree. I have some dead plants in my backyard, and I know they're dead. They're long dead. They're they're dry. They're decayed. I need to dig those trees out, and I'm, I'm not going to transplant them. I'm going to throw them in the trash. But what Jesus does for us is he digs up us as formerly dead. And we're withered. We have no fruit, no growth. And he takes that tree, and he gives us life. He washes off the muck of that sin that's been clinging to our roots, and he performs this transplant where he puts us in good soil. He puts us in a place where we can not only be, have life return to us, but we can flourish. That's really what this metaphor in these last four verses is about. It's this vision of trees suddenly blooming and suddenly blossoming. Go outside today, look out your windows. You're going to see leaves on these trees that have been barren all winter. And that's really picked up my spirits. So it's been great to see spring come again. And that's the image here of trees blossoming, of flowers coming out, fruit coming out, and not only for a little bit, but the psalmist says pretty much forever. You're going to be forever growing It's this vision of a future that never ends, of a purpose that will go on forever. And going back to this topic of the Sabbath, since this is a song of the Sabbath, worship is only an obligation, and it's only a chore when you don't really see the God, who God is, and what God has done for you. God is and what He's done for you. God is not merely content in these verses to save you and then set you aside in some sort of bare bones existence where, yeah, you've had life returned to you, but it's not a great life. Instead, He gives you the best. He puts you in His courts, right there in His royal courts, so that you can flourish and be the best you you can be. You have a purpose, you will grow. It's just great imagery that it shows you what your future will be like with him. And it's in this state, as you're growing, as you're flourishing, as you see your, your purpose and your future, that your gratitude also grows, that you start to praise God and you lift him up. You can't help it. Because when, when you see a God who's given you so much, in turn you want to turn around and say, thank you, God. Look at how great our God is, that he took what was dead and he made it alive. And then he made it the best it could possibly be. If you want to learn about God, you have to read the Psalms. You can't learn about who God is if you're not reading the psalms. You absolutely have to. That's why we've been doing this series called Learning to Love the Psalms. Because it's all about getting to know the God we worship. Getting to know who he really is. And the psalms really give us the best description in the whole Bible of who God is and what he's like. And in verse 2 here, I I think we get two important clues, two important attributes of God that really we, we need to cling to when it says this. It says, I proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Two things that define God are love and faithfulness Love, God loves. I mean, that's really, we've been saying that for our whole lives, and you hear that. God is love. He absolutely is. It runs through his being. It drives his purpose. It drives his direction. It drives what he does for you. Every word of the Bible is driven by his love. He wouldn't have made you if he didn't love you. He wouldn't try to redeem you if he didn't love you. He wouldn't communicate with you or give you a day of rest if he didn't love. God loves you, and it's a deeper, greater, more self-sacrificing love than we can ever possibly comprehend. And to those he loves, he blesses, he promises, and then he is faithful to keep those promises. We see in this verse an image of a God who wakes up in the morning. Well, we wake up in the morning. God God pulls an all-nighter, right? But we wake up in the morning, and right there in the first thing of the day is a God who's shining down his love on us. And as the day comes to the close, we can say God has been faithful to keep every single one of the promises He has given to us. He hasn't failed at all. Later in Psalm 92, the righteous sing that God is upright. He's a rock. I love that phrase, a rock. Has anybody ever called you a rock? I know a friend once called me. She said, Justin, you're, you're a rock. You're my rock. And I said, don't, please. Don't use me as your rock. Like, I am not worthy of being a rock. I fail. I am faulty. God is worthy of being a rock. Go to God. It's no no small comfort when we look to a God who is stable and trustworthy, who is our rock. I'm talking about trustworthy. I know I can't always completely depend on my car. I mean, I I would love to depend on my car, but it's almost hitting 100,000 miles. And I know that sooner or later, It's going to break down, and we're going to start having more and more trips to the mechanic. And that pretty much happens to everything. As I age, I depend on my body less and less. Weird and unsettling things start to happen to this vessel. I'm not completely content with growing older. I'm I'm getting okay with it, but I know I'm not going to come into the bloom of my youth anymore. The warranty on my body ran out a long time ago, and my hair is getting thinner. Weird things happen to my back. My vision's getting worse. You know, that's, that's how it goes. My body, my physical body, is not reliable. I can't trust it. I, don't, I can't depend on it. But, and this is important, God is reliable. God is dependable. God doesn't grow old and creaky and start to wear down and break down, and suddenly you find later in your life that you're depending on God less and less because he's let you down. It's why we need to depend on a God before and above and beyond the other things in our life that we used to depend on, our 401Ks and our good health, our locked doors, our college diplomas, our friends, our government. Whatever you think is your rock, trust me, unless it's God, sooner or later, it's going to let you down. It's going to break down. and You have to be careful about completely basing your life on something that's not God because it's on something that's not completely trustworthy. Only God is that, and he deserves to be lifted up for everybody to see, because you want other people to have that reliability, that reliance, that trustworthiness, that rock that loves you in the morning and is faithful to you at night. Finally, I feel that when God gives us a specific song for the Sabbath, We should treat it as a great treasure. When God says, this is a song you need to sing on Sundays, we should be going, wow. Let's take an extra special look at it. The song of the Sabbath, the day that it represents, is a day to be celebrated with joy and happiness. Because like summer vacation, the day is finally there, and we're given a break, a rest from the rest of our lives. We can enjoy it. But something I want to ask you before we conclude today, I want to ask you this question as you read this psalm. Who is singing it? Who's singing Psalm 92? We're given a couple clues here in verses 10 and 11 that suggest through this metaphorical language that the singer is no less than the king. He has this horn, and a horn represents power. And he has oil poured on his head, and that's something you do to anoint a king. So the king is singing this song, he's leading the the country and singing the song. And he leads the nation to praise God on the Sabbath. He points to God and exalts Him. But this king, by the way, is not Saul. The king is not David. He's not Solomon. The king of Psalm 92 is Jesus. Jesus makes this claim in Mark 2.28 when He says the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He is the king of Sabbath who is not only being sung about, but he's leading everybody in the singing. Jesus does both roles. It's pretty crazy. A lot of times in the Bible, you'll see Jesus doing dual roles. He's not only judging us, but he's also our advocate. He's not only our king that we're exalting, but he's also leading us in worship of him. He's pretty cool. He can do both things at once. And when you come to church, I just want to encourage you. I don't want you to come to church because you just want to reconnect with your friends. Don't come to church on a Sabbath because you feel like you're obligated to be a good example to your family. Don't come just because you enjoy the music. Don't come because you want an experience. I've heard people say that. I go to church because it's a good experience. Don't come for those reasons. Come on the Sabbath to lift up a God who is worth exalting. That's what the point of this psalm is, that we come to worship God. It's not about us. It's not about what we want to get out of this experience. It's about lifting up a God who is truly worthy of being lifted up, to sing his praises on a day that he has set aside so that we can do just that. Jesus, the Lord of our Sabbath, invites us to rest in him and to worship him. He welcomes us to partake of the blessing that God established all the way back on the seventh day of creation. We said, this day is to be set aside for rest, for you to rest and to worship. Jesus leads us in the song that exalts God's justice, his care of the righteous, and his holy nature, his love and his faithfulness. Sing that song, and you'll find that this day becomes the best day of the week for you. Here's my challenge before we end. My challenge today is we're exalting God. We're lifting God up. Post something somewhere. Share something with someone of what you want to exalt about God. What's something about God that you are in awe of? Something about God that makes you happy, makes you joyful, makes you want to sing. Maybe make a note if you're listening to this right now on Facebook. Write a a comment right now so everybody else can see it. What do you want to exalt about God? What about God It's just something that is praiseworthy to you. Send a text out to somebody. Just write it somewhere. Tell a friend. Exalt God to somebody else. Lift him up so that somebody can see that your God is a God worth worshiping. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, if it was anybody else who wrote this song, we would think it was ego. We think they were self-centered. But Lord, when it's you, we know that this song is not enough. We know that this psalm only begins to exalt a God who's great and mighty, a God who's faithful in his love and his care. We see a God who cares about us, even though when we don't deserve it. A God who's provided for us, even when we have previously turned our back on him. Lord, I pray that we would just change our perspective. Change our perspective on Sunday. So Sunday isn't boring to us. It's not a chore. But Lord, it's something where we're so eager to get to worship. Because we get to learn more about you. We get to be in your presence. We know that you are right here in the midst of us. You are hearing the words that we say. The song that comes out of our mouth. Lord, you are speaking to us through the scriptures. Lord, you are a great God. We lift you up and we exalt you. Thank you for being at the center of our worship. In your name, amen.
1: We want to send out some congratulations to Mike and Lori Williams, who welcomed a grandchild. Uh, Mom and baby are doing well, so we're uh, happy to see the Williams family expanding by one, so congrats to them on that. Uh, It's always cool to start out or to talk about at the beginning of a service, uh, that this time is set apart. That when we gather in the sanctuary or via the airwaves like this or wherever we would gather to worship and celebrate Jesus, that it's almost like a consecrated, protected time. It's like we, we pull away from whatever is going on out there and we plug into what is going on in here. And that's the beauty of the Sabbath. That's the beauty of the opportunity to put our our stresses and our work and our families and our lives on hold for a little bit to kind of seclude ourselves and then to find rest in Jesus when we gather and even a gathering like this where we can kind of put things on pause and plug in to what's going on here in the life of the kingdom. So that is what I'm grateful for with the Sabbath and I always try to pray kind of a hedge of protection around this place and this time when we gather that we might have the Sabbath be represented well by what we do. So as you enjoy the rest of your Sabbath, find some time to rest. It's here to bless us. And uh, we're grateful for all the good gifts that God gives us, including the Sabbath. So in the name of Jesus Christ, be well, go in peace. We miss you guys, we love you guys, and we hope to see you soon. Be well.